Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at Cameroon's chances at the upcoming FIFA World Cup, and we hear from fans in Yaoundé. If Cameroon reaches the quarterfinals like they did in 1990, it's going to be very, very good for us. And for me, it's going to be a moment of joy because I think last time I wasn't born. That's coming shortly, plus with the CAF Women's Champions League ending this Sunday in Morocco, we assess the tournament, and there's lots on the English Premier League too ahead of the upcoming break, as we ask if Liverpool have now turned the corner. But a first very concerning World Cup news that Senegal forward Sadio Mane is a doubt for the tournament after picking up a leg injury while playing for Bayern Munich on Tuesday. Mane came off after 20 minutes in Bayern's win over Werder Bremen. He will miss this Saturday's match against Schalke. The injury came just 13 days before Senegal's opening game against the Netherlands. Uh, let's hope that he will make it to Qatar, but it's not looking great for Sadio Mane. And with squads being announced, Chelsea winger Hakim Ziyech has been included in Morocco's squad as expected, having reversed his decision to retire from international football back in February after his fallout with the then Atlas Lions boss Vahid Halihodzic, who was dismissed in August. Well, more coming on the World Cup shortly, but before that, the second edition of the CAF Women's Champions League ends on Sunday in Morocco, with AS Far of the host nation playing defending champions Mamelodi Sundowns Ladies of South Africa in the final. Uh, the semi-finals were very close. Uh, Sundowns Ladies beat Simba Queens of Tanzania 1-0. AS Far beat Bielsa Queens of Nigeria, also by a goal to nil. So, Ida, what's your assessment of the tournament? Well, we called it, didn't we, Steve? <laughs> a while ago, at least, when uh, previewing the tournament. Granted, it was pretty easy to see that these were clearly the two most experienced teams in the competition. The Sundowns defending champions and ASFAR having gotten to third place in the last edition. On an individual note, I was impressed by Simba of Tanzania and uh, Bayelsa Queens of Nigeria. I mean, getting to the semifinals on their maiden experience is no small feat. And I'm sure that the prize money will take them some way. Just to remind the listeners, Steve, that the winners get to walk away with 400,000 US dollars, the runners up 250,000. The semi-finalists, 200,000 US dollars each, and there was prize money as well in the group stage. Steve, Sunday's final is also reminiscent of the Women's Africa Cup of Nations final. I mean, wouldn't you say? That was in July, and it featured South Africa and Morocco. And it's quite interesting because it's a question one has to ask themselves increasingly as we talk about women's football in Africa. Are we seeing the powers in the continent changing? South Africa beat Morocco 2-1 in that final. So we will see which club from which country will reign supreme this time round. 
Yeah, and it's going to be a very interesting final then that uh, with the host nations AS Far uh, playing Mamelodi Sundowns Ladies of South Africa. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. More on the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. And on the show today, we're going to focus on Cameroon's indomitable Lions. It's their eighth appearance, quarter-finalists back in 1990, but making group stage exits every other time. This feature from Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO in Yaoundé in Cameroon. There was a mix of excitement and anxiety as Cameroon's head coach Rigo Besson named his 26-man squad for the Qatar World Cup, while a majority of the players who will be in Qatar have been regulars with the national team. There are, however, some surprising call-ups and some glaring absences. Centre-back Nicolas Kulu, who prior to the Lions' two defeats in September against Uzbekistan and South Korea, lastly played for the five-time African champions in 2017, is in the squad, alongside China-based winger Christian Basogok, who had a disappointing spell at the Afghan. Their presence in the team has seen the shocking snobbing of defender Michael Ngade, who until now was a kingpin in the side, as well as Nantes winger Ignatius Ganago, who has scored a combined four goals in 14 games in the French League and Europa League. While these absences have set tongues wagging, fans prefer to continue trusting the indomitable Lions squad to hit the right notes in Qatar. The Lions' performance ahead of the Qatar 2022 World Cup has not been the best, given that they have had difficult times as to the international friendlies they got engaged in. However, we look forward to the Lions quitting surprises uh, out there in Qatar. You know, the Lions perform better when they play with their backs on the wall. Uh, let's just keep our fingers crossed and see what uh, Rigo Besson and his foot soldiers have in store for the Cameroonian public. I'm optimistic that they are going to uh, perform well at the World Cup. Like a fan of the Intermittable Lions of Cameroon, I think I'm expecting them to go beyond uh, the quarterfinals. Having a Etofis too at the head of the Federation, with all the hopes that he has for uh, the Cameroon squad, I think that we are able to go beyond that because he himself has actually uh, beaten his chest that Cameroon must go beyond the group stage. The preparation, I can say it was top-notch. We saw players coming up from the local leagues and participating in the national team, which was quite encouraging. And uh, we saw Rigobertson Bahana, the coach, testing his tactics and seeing how he could prepare effectively for the World Cup. So I can say uh, the World Cup preparatory matches was quite effective and we are hoping for a successful tournament. As a fan, I strongly believe Cameroon can make it. We haven't forgotten the 1990 uh, expedition. Uh, it was quite interesting and uh, if you see the number of times you have participated in the World Cup so far, it's no magic. It's out of competition, it's out of steadfastness and I think we are here, not by mistake, but because we are worthy what I expect from them is to win their first two matches before facing Brazil because, you know, Brazil is a very tough team. If Cameroon reaches the quarterfinals like they did in 1990, it's going to be very, very good for us. And for me, it's going to be a moment of joy because I think last time I wasn't born. Last time they reached that level, I wasn't born. Amongst the debates in the streets of Yaoundé, one that grabs the attention is who will lead Cameroon's attack line. 
Eric Maxim Chupomoting has been in superlative form, scoring 10 goals in 15 games across all competitions for Bayern Munich, but has often been used in the wings or as an attacking midfielder with Cameroon, as coaches have preferred starting Vincent Abubakar as the centre forward. Sports pundit Charles Mbola is convinced Chupomoting and not Vincent Abubakar should be spearheading Cameroon's attack. Vincent Abubakar excels more in the central compartment of the attack attack line. Meanwhile, Chupomoting can operate from both the flanks and the middle of the attack line. It is going to be a very difficult choice, but again, my preference would definitely be for Eric Maxim Chupomoting, whose form in recent times have shown that he is blistering. He's, he is doing everything right. And the Bayern technical staff are very, very happy with his output since the start of this season. So why not give him that opportunity to start? For instance, Vincent Abubakar has not been on the form we saw him during the AFCON and he's gone past um, virtually seven months since the AFCON uh, rounded off. So it, it is time for us to see, depending on the opponents too, to see exactly if Chupo Moting can be given that role to lead the attack line. There are also questions over Cameron's tactical setup. Coach Rigo Bersong has played with the 4-3-3, 3-5-2 and 4-4-2 systems, leaving fans speculating over what he will do. In stark contrast to these concerns, the president of Cameroon's Football Federation, Samuel Eto, has expressed optimism, stating that the Indomitable Lions will win the World Cup in Qatar, overpowering Morocco in the final. This sort of confidence has been embraced by Cameroon's coaching staff, with deputy coach Augustine Simo emphasizing that the Indomitable Lions will be in Qatar for spectacle and not sightseeing. Going to a World Cup, we have to be ambitious. I don't think we'll just go to a World Cup to participate. Our ambitions are big. I think we have three important games to play, which uh, we are more focused on that. We have uh, to go game by game and not to be dispersed. And I think that's the, the, the best way to, to abort the competition. Cameroon's performances in their last two World Cups have been heart-wrenching for the fans, finishing second from the bottom in 2010 and having the worst performance with the last spot finish in 2014. But the Indomitable Lions say they are out to change the narrative. The side will continue gearing up in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates with a friendly against Panama lined up for November 18. Six days later, Cameroon played their Group G opener with Switzerland before facing Serbia on November 28 and concluding the group stages on December 2 with a cracker against Brazil. Well, that feature from Planet Sport Football Africa's and GAENO in Yaoundé in Cameroon. Uh, so, Ida, what do you think we'll expect from the Indomitable Lions in Qatar? You know, Steve, there's a sentiment expressed there in NGA's report about Cameroon often giving their best performances when their backs are against the wall. And you know what? I'll have to agree with it. I mean, how they qualified for the Qatar World Cup was a prime example of that, wasn't it? You know, that last gasp goal that saw them through, you know, on the away goals rule at the expense of Algeria. That was really edge of the seat sort of stuff. But look, the grandest stage, you know, when we talk about the world of football is the worst possible place to continue that approach, if you ask me. And especially in a group with Brazil, Steve, five-time world champions. And you saw they made light work of the African teams in that last round of international friendlies. And no doubt they were using that as practice for their group stage game against Cameroon. 
On a separate note, I have noticed that the Cameroon fans, at least from GA's report, are much more optimistic about their chances in Qatar compared to, say, the Ghanaian fans. You know, we talked about the, the Black Stars last week. And suffice it to say that a cheery outlook <laughs> is the last thing they have. <laughs> but NGA has given us the intricacies of the squad selection there. Abu Bakar, Chupomoting, and Nkulu will be at their third World Cups. And it will be an African record of eight World Cups for the Indomitable Lions, having made their debut back in 1982. Steve, the Abu Bakar Chupomoting debate is certainly an interesting one, but what I found strange was the exclusion of an experienced player like Michael Gajui and fronting of players who literally just and their first cups and entrusting them at the biggest possible stage when we talk about the world of football. Uh, Song, the coach, also included an uncapped teenager by the name Simon Brady. He plays for Marseille. And yeah, of course, these will raise eyebrows. I mean, these are very interesting choices. Steve, Cameroon has legends on all sides. You look at Fekafoot president Samuel Eto'o, the coach is Rigobert Song. Though Eto'o's thoughts are quite interesting and I think are born more out of nationalism and Africanism, you know, than anything else really. I mean, it's difficult. It's almost impossible, at least to me, Steve, to see African teams all crash out at the group stage four years ago in Russia, you know, to all getting to the knockout stage in Qatar, you know, and then have two in the final. <laughs> I mean, if wishes were horses. <laughs> the indomitable Lions, they did make history in the 80s and the 90s, you know, becoming the first African team to get to the quarterfinals. But their record since, frankly, has been, you know, not the best. But all the best to them in Qatar, I will say this, it definitely won't be easy. Yeah, sure. So we shall see what the Indomitable Lions can deliver at the World Cup finals in Qatar. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart, as we look at whether Liverpool have now turned the corner in the English Premier League. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now let's go to social media. Last week we asked, what are you expecting from Ghana at the World Cup? Uh, Ghana making their fourth appearance, having been quarter-finalists in 2010 and with a chaotic group stage exit in 2014 in Brazil. Uh, so with players like Mohamed Kudus, Thomas Partey and Daniel Amate, what are you expecting from the Black Stars? Well, let's start in Accra, in Ghana. I do Christopher says that Ghana will surprise everyone in this World Cup. Uh, they will go far. Uh, Kalwiji Kakoma in Zambia says, I think Ghana have the quality to make it all the way to the knockout stage, especially if players like Inyaki Williams make it to the Black Stars team. They have the strength in midfield with the likes of Partey and also with Daniel Amate at the back, says Kalwiji. 
Zimbabwe in Uganda says Ghana are in the group of death, but we can fight with Uruguay for second spot because Portugal are likely to take first place, says Zimbabwe. Then Maya Gurmayadit in South Sudan looks at the fact that this World Cup's being played mid-season uh, rather than at the end of the season. Uh, Maya says, I think this World Cup is going to be different from the rest uh, because the competition will be at an average level. I think the Black Stars are ready for that. In my opinion, they will advance to the knockout stage, says Maya. Uchenna Nwachuku in Nigeria says Ghana will make it out of the group stage. Uh, the same miracle that made them qualify ahead of the mighty Super Eagles will see them through, says Uchenna. Uh, Uchenna, they're looking at uh, Ghana having eliminated Nigeria in the playoffs uh, for the World Cup. In Zimbabwe, Humphrey Mugo Vewashe says the Black Stars are the reason I don't support African teams at the World Cup. I'm still yet to heal from 2010, says Humphrey, uh, when the Black Stars came so close to reaching the semi-finals. Then Stephen Archwangi in Kenya says they can advance to the knockout stage. They got very good team spirit, but let's hope that there will be no injuries. And Akayende Akinwande in Nigeria says Ghana should make Africa proud and they should be a good team. And finally, Bombi Natsen in Cameroon says wishing Ghana all the best from here in Cameroon. Well, thanks for all of those comments there. This week we're asking how far can Africa get at this World Cup? Uh, so the best performances ever for the continent are quarter-final appearances from Cameroon in 1990, Senegal in 2002 and Ghana in 2010. So this week we're asking which African team do you think will get the furthest and how far can they get? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. How far can Africa get at this World Cup? Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And we have the last English Premier League games this weekend before the break for the FIFA World Cup. Uh, Liverpool playing Southampton after a 2-1 win away to Tottenham last weekend, with Mohamed Salah looking like he's getting back to his best. Have the Reds turned the corner, Stuart? Well, Steve, it certainly was an excellent win for Liverpool. And, as you say, two outstanding goals by Mo Salah. But I'm not sure I'd go quite as far as you in talking about turning a corner. Following defeats in their two previous games, Liverpool still find themselves eighth in the table. Arsenal remain top, having gone to Chelsea and won, and Arsenal do look the real deal. But it was successive defeats for Chelsea. Arsenal, Steve, have been top of the league for 86, or possibly 87 days, depending when you're listening to this. That's something we wouldn't have predicted. Now, when Leeds United lost four games in a row, they looked to be in free fall. But then I won at Liverpool last weekend, followed by an amazing 4-3 win over Bournemouth after being 3-1 down with only half an hour remaining. And Leeds are suddenly 12th. And Leicester City are another club who seem to be in real trouble, not winning any of their first seven games. But three wins in the last four have taken them up to 14th. So it's hard to predict what is going on and it's an interesting time for the Premier League to be having its six-week break. And Steve, I just need to mention it was quite a weekend for African goal scorers. Mo Salah, two for Liverpool. 
Ben Rama for West Ham, Zaha for Crystal Palace, Beumu and Wissa for Brentford, six goals in all. And Ruben Neves took the number of penalties he has scored for Wolves to seven. And of course, Neves spells seven backwards. <laughs> That's a clever one. And uh, Stuart, more manager movement. Uh, Southampton losing theirs and Wolves now with a new man in charge. Ralph Hasenhutl has been fired by Southampton. Appointed in December 2018, he left just one month short of four years in the job or 151 games. Southampton finished 11th in his first season, 15th in each of the next two seasons. And ironically, he was fired exactly two years from the day when he temporarily took Southampton to the top of the Premier League. And he twice survived Southampton losing a Premier League game 9-0 to Leicester City and Manchester United. Now, going back to 2014 to 2017, Southampton had a good spell with four top eight finishes and four different managers. Mauricio Pochettino, Ronald Koeman, Claude Puel and Mauricio Pellegrino. But last weekend, Southampton lost at home to Newcastle 4-1 and that was their sixth defeat in nine league games, along with just one win and two draws. And that left Southampton just one place above the relegation zone and the club owners felt it was time for a change. The 55-year-old Austrian had previously been manager of Leipzig in Germany for two years. And you'd have to say, sadly, that four years is about par for the course for a manager in the Premier League. Southampton are never going to be one of the top clubs in the Premier League unless they find an owner who's willing to put megabucks into the club. And really, survival and mid-table is realistically what they can hope for. When Hasenhutl arrived four years ago, they were 18th in the Premier League table, and ironically, he left four years later. They were 18th again. Having finished 15th last season, the club made no significant signings. Joe Ariba, the Nigerian from Glasgow Rangers, was probably the main addition. And you could say that he kept Southampton in the Premier League, mainly in the bottom half or even the bottom third, but I think it's a fair question if that reflects the quality of the players and the budget of the club. It's also a fair question if Hasenhüttl did as much as he realistically could with the resources available to him. Anyway, we understand that Southampton are now looking at the current Luton Town manager, Nathan Jones. Jones had done a good job at Luton, taking them to the playoffs from the Championship last season, but he's never managed in the Premier League. We'll have to watch how this develops. And as you say, Wolves have a new manager, Hulan Loptegui, who replaces Bruno Laghi, who was dismissed at the beginning of October. Loptegui will start work next Monday, just as the Premier League starts a six-week break for the World Cup. So he will have six weeks to prepare for his first game on the 26th of December away to Everton. The problem is that his best players will be at the World Cup. We understand that Loptegui was Wolves' first choice, but he turned them down initially. Now, as a player, he joined Real Madrid when he was 17, but was there for five years, making only one first-team appearance. Similarly, he was at Barcelona for three years, only getting seven games. The main club he played for was Rio Vallecano, 
and he played 100 games there, gained one cap for Spain, and in fact was in the World Cup squad for the 1994 World Cup, but didn't actually play. As a manager, he was head coach of his country for two years. He managed Real Madrid, but only lasted one season, and for the last four years he's been at Seville, who finished fourth in each of the last three seasons. But apparently that wasn't good enough for the club, and he was gone. Now, he's clearly a good and experienced coach, but again, he's coming to the Premier League at the age of 56 without ever having played or coached in England. He's in charge of a team in the bottom three. His squad of players includes nine Portuguese players signed by his two Portuguese predecessors. He's got two Spanish players, Adama Traore and 34-year-old Diego Costa. He's an experienced coach, but to me he looks an odd choice for a club in the Premier League in the bottom three. So we'll see how Loptegay does there at Wolves. And uh, Stuart, the UEFA Champions League draw for the round of 16, a very intriguing uh, Liverpool to face Real Madrid. The eight ties to be played in February and March, long after the World Cup, with the group winner at home in the second leg. And these are Leipzig against Manchester City, Bruges against Benfica. As you say, Liverpool against Real Madrid, a repeat of last year's final. AC Milan against Tottenham, Frankfurt against Napoli, Borussia Dortmund against Chelsea, Inter Milan against Porto and Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern Munich. And that's a repeat of the 2020 final. Now, in the Europa League, the standard tie is Barcelona against Manchester United. But it's a reflection on how two of the greatest clubs in European football have fallen. Barcelona dropping out of the Champions League into the Europa League and Manchester United failing to qualify for the Champions League at all this season. Yeah, indeed. And it's been a very busy time and we didn't get a time to talk about an African great who retired recently. Uh, that's Nigeria's John Mikel Obi. He played 10 years for Chelsea. With Chelsea, he won the Champions League, the Premier League twice and five cups. As well as Chelsea, he played in China, Norway, Turkey and his last club was Kuwait in the Middle East, where injury actually prevented him from getting any playing time. He made 90 appearances for Nigeria, winning the AFCON in 2013. He was a semi-finalist in the 2016 Olympics when he was captain, as he also was in the 2014 World Cup. Now that he didn't make 100 caps for his country was largely his decision as he retired from international football in 2019. Now, he started his career in Norway with Lynn, and when he was 18, both Manchester United and Chelsea claimed to have signed him. He initially went to United, didn't play a game, and then moved to Chelsea. And he was part of that great group of Chelsea players, John Terry and others, who transformed an average Chelsea team into one of the best teams in the Premier League as we know them now. And while he played in several countries, he will be remembered mainly for his time at Chelsea. One odd incident he was involved in in 2012 when he was charged with misconduct by the FA and given a three-match ban and a $100,000 fine for threatening referee Mark Clattenburg when Chelsea lost to Manchester United. The player, however, claimed that he had been abused by the referee. And Steve, I never knew this. He was always known as John Obi Mikel, but apparently he liked to be called Mikel John Obi. 
Yes, there was always confusion about how exactly to uh, structure Mikel's name. Great player he was. Uh, thanks a lot, Stuart. So English Premier League games on this weekend. Manchester City at home to Brentford. Liverpool playing Southampton. We got to Tottenham against Leeds. Arsenal playing away to Wolves. Uh, Chelsea away to the inform Newcastle. Uh, then we get on to the FIFA World Cup and the news keeps on coming as squads are being announced. Uh, the England squad an interesting one as uh, Ivan Tony missed out and Leicester's James Madison made it into the 26-man squad uh, also getting there Marcus Rashford who's been playing well and Newcastle striker Callum Wilson too as well as Tony uh, Jared Bowen of West Ham are missing out in the England squad the World Cup starts on Sunday the 20th of November. The opening game, the host nation Qatar are playing Ecuador. First African team in action will be Senegal. They play the Netherlands on Monday the 21st. Uh, that will come up after England play Iran earlier on in the day. And Tunisia will be the second African team in action on Tuesday the 22nd as they play Denmark. Well, lots more on the World Cup on next week's show. That's it for this week, though. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.